Mackerel Podcast number 409 for May 28th, 2014, brought to you by Quello, the world's largest collection of full-length HD concerts and music documentaries, and ShareFile by Citrix, the powerfully simple way to meet and collaborate online whenever you need to, wherever you are. Welcome to another Mackerel Podcast. I'm Chris Breen, and joining me as usual is... Serenity Caldwell here, sitting in lovely, gray, and rainy Somerville, California. California, Somerville, California, <laughs> Somerville, Massachusetts. <laughs> you you still haven't gotten over this California thing? No, it's I. Right now, the weather is so horrendous that I would much rather be in Southern California. Uh, but at least I get to go to Northern California next week, and hopefully, it won't be as uh, you know, it's actually Maybe. beautiful here right now. So. Ah, well, keep that weather around. That's your job. Chris. I will do that. Keep the weather around for a week. Yeah, well, I've looked at um, my three or four weather apps, and they, they say the temperature is going to be somewhere between minus 47 and 102, because <laughs> they're all in agreement and they're all wrong. Yeah, that sounds like temperature apps to What me. is it about weather apps? I mean, uh, we really shouldn't start with an aside, but let's start <laughs> with an aside. Why not? Why not? What? I mean, don't they all go to the same source for information? There's a whole bunch of different uh, meteorolo- meteorological uh, sites that they reference and uh, data sources. I think Forecast.io, which are the people who power the Dark Sky app and uh, the Forecast.io web app, they use the, more, the most sources. I think they use – they have their own technology and then they also combine something like – 12 to 17 different weather uh, reporter reporting uh, stations from like the U.S. government and and other uh, governmental agencies. And theirs tends to be the most accurate of all that I've found. But yeah, it's so weird. Everybody takes slightly different data and everybody thinks that 20 percent chance of rain means a slightly different thing. So it's there's no real established uh Established scale. Yeah. Well, if somebody out there, and maybe it's us, could test these things, it would be, I think it'd be great to have like a round of like 10 weather apps and just running through 10 days of testing and say who's right and who's wrong most often. Uh, because I go through apples and, and of course it's not on the iPad. So the, I have gone to Yahoo and it's sometimes close <laughs> and other times it's not, uh, weather bug and sometimes it's right and sometimes it's wrong. But it's, it's remarkable when you compare the two, um, the two that I normally use and see how off they are and how stubborn they can be. Like one of them will tell me, it's 72 degrees outside, or that's what the hmm. forecast is. It's going to be 72, and then it shows the current temperature, which is 82. And so it seems to me that you're telling me your forecast is 10 degrees off. Some way there should be some intelligence in there where it says, oh, oh it's actually 82. Yeah, our forecast, we've just rounded up another 10 degrees <laughs> because we were wrong. Sigh. Sigh. Um but really, that wasn't what we were supposed to talk about today. No, I mean, we can complain about weather apps for an entire hour, but uh, I'm sure you lovely listeners want to hear about what's uh, what's going on with Apple and uh, related technology companies this week. Uh, and, and there are a couple things. I mean, we are in the we are in the pre WWDC countdown. We have what T minus six days mm-hmm. to the keynote. Uh, which I'm going to be at for the first time ever. I'm so excited. Hurrah! Um, well, I hope you get in the real room and not the overflow room. <laughs> oh, I have press credentials this year. I'm excited. Ooh, I'm, nice. I feel I feel very official. Um, so 
uh, let, let's talk. What, what was that first thing that uh, that you noticed, Chris? There's the the home automation uh, rumor that just came out a couple days ago. That was that's a little interesting. Yeah, this intriguing. is the Financial Times that came out with this one, and um, we're kind of in that period where rumors become more reasonable. So the closer you get to WWDC, there's that period where all the crazy stuff disappears, and then something comes out of sort of nowhere. And I think that was the case here where we're going to talk about home animation or, or some home automation. Um, and this is yet again, one of these areas where it can be done. You can go out and buy a bunch of different components, lights and security stuff and monitor this and monitor that. But it turns out it's kind of a mess. If you see the way that people have implemented it so far, yes, you can look at cameras through your iPad or your, your iPhone, you can monitor a lot of things. You can control the temperature in your house via Nest. But there isn't sort of one perfect way of doing it. And this is the kind of market that Apple likes to jump into. So this is really about control over the, and we'll put this in quotes, the Internet of Things, uh, because that's a buzz phrase now. So there are many, there are many things on the internet right now, Chris. Yes. And there are many, there are many devices that you can connect to the internet and you can have them talk. Talk to your computers. Uh, but yeah, you know, home automation always struck me as really cool. Like there's the Nest. There's the Nest smoke detector. There are lights that you can change with your iPhone. Uh, the big barrier to entry, at least for me, is that the co- it's been so cost prohibitive because you have to buy a bunch of little dongles and you have to – every light bulb is different mm-hmm. and they all cost $100. And so to outfit your entire home to have it be, you know, semi-smart – you're talking about at least a thousand dollars, which is, and that's just you know for a, for a small house. And it's going to be a lot more if you want to do some more things to a to a slightly larger dwelling. Um, so, so I think it's an it's an interesting rumor, and I like the idea of Apple sort of getting more into the connected home because we do have the Apple TV, we have the iMac, and as the computer sort of becomes more a part of your day to day, you know, as not just not just hidden away in your office, but like the iPad lives everywhere. Mm-hmm. The iPad lives in your living room. It lives in your bedroom. It lives wherever you want it to live. Um, so it makes sense that uh, that we'd want to control that Apple would like to control other other aspects of the home. Really become the technology company of the future. Da da da. Um, I, I'm curious to see how they might accomplish that and at what sort of pricing level that will actually look like. Yeah, it, it's interesting to consider what. Apple's hardware buy-in is on this. I mean, obviously, they're going to be the controllers, or they want to be the controllers, so through your iPhone or your iPad. Um, and Apple TV will be an element of this as well. But I think when it comes to the cost of these systems, that's really going to still be up to the manufacturers. So Apple's not going to come out with a refrigerator or a home lighting system. Um, I don't think it's going to get into the thermostat business because I think there are people already doing that. What it, <laughs> Probably not. Right. What it's doing is setting a standard and saying, look, we need one, one true way, that one ring that will rule them all, that will rule all the automation in our homes. And they have some elements within iOS, within their hardware that makes this really interesting. For example, the iBeacon technology. So that when you walk into your home, there's a sensor there that says, ah, your home, let me see what time it is. It's seven o'clock. I'm going to turn on the light here, here, and here. The temperature is this. You actually like it to be a little warmer than this or a little cooler than this. Let me turn on the uh, microwave where your dinner has been sitting since this morning and it will be ready in six minutes. And, uh, and that's the, I think that's the whole idea is to take as much of this out of 
you having to go through menu after menu after menu to do things, but it just simply set up basically macros that it understands how you like to live and what you want to happen at a certain time of day. And then when you approach, bang, all the stuff comes on. Of course, you can control it remotely so you can be halfway across the world and turn the heat up or down if you want to, which you can do with the Nest now. Uh, but also include media elements like you would with a Sono system or something like that, so that wherever you are, you can do things with your home, switch on security cameras, open the garage door, close them. There's a lot of possibilities here. Um, and again, the market's a mess. And so I do like the idea of Apple coming in with some kind of made for, as they did iPhone or iPod, made for home, iHome sort of thing, although somebody owns that. Um, Yes, to bring sanity to this so that uh, it will work because this, you know, this is the next battleground. We've done mobile. We've we've got the players there. Apple's trying to work in the living room, but a lot of people are trying to work in the living room. But I think the whole home automation thing with the Internet of Things is, is the next area where Apple really wants to establish itself. And I think it's doing so ahead of the game because they're still... You know, everybody's fridge isn't smart at this point, but it will be. And their other appliances are not smart yet, but they will be. So if Apple can get in now, incorporate and license their technology into some of these devices, more money for the company and more convenience for us. Yeah, with no question. And I think it would be really interesting to see if Apple is going to, you know, work on any partnerships, if it is more of a like, this is a software-based side of it, and we're just making it a lot easier for you to connect all of these internet connected devices to one thing yeah uh but but who knows maybe maybe we'll hear a little bit about that next week well and it's the right place to do it um a lot of times people look at wwdc and think oh there's going to be a new you know consumer kind of device like oh there's going to be a new real apple tv and it isn't that kind of uh conference this is for developers this is for establishing ground rules for operating systems so if they're going to talk about some kind of ecosystem for the home, this is the perfect place to do it. Maybe they'll have products that go along with it. Maybe they'll incorporate this into something in the iOS or the Mac OS, where they're, they're saying, yes, in these next iterations of the operating systems, we are going to do something with the home. We need to start talking to developers around uh, about it now and start talking to manufacturers. And if if it's true that they're going into automation, it's pretty sure that they've already spoken to a lot of people. So during your in-person um, attendance of that keynote, you know, maybe they'll bring out the, the CEO of Frigidaire who will talk to you about uh, the refrigerator of the future that will tell you that your milk has gone bad, um, that you need more milk because it's sitting on a little weight sensor, that it scanned every barcode inside your fridge and it knows when things are good, bad, or indifferent. Um, and it can adjust your freezer in a smart way so that you're not using more uh, energy than you need to. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of possibilities here. Yeah, I look forward to the day. But but again, going to your original <laughs> point, this could be really expensive. Yes, it could. Um, and I think that's a problem that they're going to either need to solve or basically sort of be hands-off with it and be like, hey, look, we've developed this wonderful new platform. Now manufacturers come and fill it with things, <laughs> you know? Yeah. If Apple doesn't worry about actually selling the the scales or the, the light bulbs or anything like that and just said, here's an SDK, you can write things for right. it. That might be a one way to go for it without 
getting people angry. Right. And we know that Google's interested in, in this as well. They've, they've already talked about, yes, we, we want to be on everything that's in your home. So we're already sort of seeing the two teams line up and it will be interesting to see which one prevails or, I mean, are we going to end up with homes that are like, you're the Android home and you're the iOS home. And so none of our stuff talks mm-hmm. to each other so that you'll have to kind of buy into each company's uh, ecosystem in order to outfit your house. Or, you know, we're going to fight over it for a while and then eventually we come to one standard, which would make sense. But of course, that's not the world we live in. So um, speaking of WWDC, I don't have to go to the uh, the keto. Not that I was invited, but mm-hmm. even if I was, I wouldn't have to go. I could instead, no. I could instead just watch it. From the comfort of your own home, <sighs> thanks to the live stream. Uh, Thank you, Apple, for continuing to perform or to, to provide us with this lovely live stream of your events. Apple's been doing this for the last couple of years, and it announced today on its website that it will once again be live streaming the WWDC keynote event uh, which means that everybody all over the world gets to sit down and, and watch what Tim Cook and friends have to unveil. Um, I will say that we are still at Macworld doing a text sort of commentary on the whole thing. It actually live streams. Some people ask us, oh, well, do, don't the live streams kind of take away from your from your text casting? Isn't that, you know, it's, it's taking away from your business. And we're like, actually, no, it just makes – it makes it easier yeah. on Dan Morin because it doesn't mean that he has to exactly transcribe everything that says. And instead, we get to get we get to spend more time analyzing what's being brought up on stage um, and and saying, you know, oh, well, maybe this is why this is important and this is why this is really cool. And, you know, the, the, the stuff that Macworld uh, editors are, are more or less known for rather than just their fast typing abilities. <laughs> Although Dan Warren is the speediest typist I've ever witnessed and cleanest too. His stuff comes out. Yeah. It's just, uh, punctuation, capital letters. It's, it's mighty impressive. Dan is a pro. Uh, <laughs> and it also says something about Apple's confidence in its ability to stream. We've seen them do a, a couple of events here where they've, they've done it over Apple TV. And generally as they go along, they get better and better and, I think we've seen the maturing of this technology through things like iTunes Festival, where they're able to deliver a beautiful looking stream to many, 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 many people. So I don't think that it was ever an issue of them not wanting to let the cat out of the bag. I just think it was technical that they weren't confident that the technology was going to work to the point that Apple was going to be proud of what they do. And I think they're at that point now where they feel like, they can do these things live. And it isn't just like somebody set up a camera and pointed at Tim Cook. These are fully realized productions. I and mean, the choreography. They're very well done. Yeah, it's gorgeous. So um, it's it's not only great for us in the business of, of, you know, being able to see these events unfold, but they're beautiful to watch, too. I mean, it's there's nothing amateurish about any of Apple's events. And the, and the fact that they've choreog- uh, choreographed these things in this way, I think, is is great. So if you um, have the time during the day, tune into their broadcast because they do a t- terrific job. Also, check out our live blog because that's good, too. Because, again, you know, Apple will say what makes sense for them to say. And then we have the opportunity to jump in and say, oh, well, Apple's not saying that. But, and then off we go. Yeah. So uh, let's take a break. And at this point, let's talk about Quello, which is the world's largest collection of full-length HD concerts and music documentaries. 
If you love music, this is something you should check out. Quello Concerts is the world's largest collection of full-length HD concerts and music documentaries. You can instantly stream the best artists and performances of all time on your iPhone, iPad, iMac, Apple TV, and other major platforms like Android, Windows, Amazon, PlayStation, and Roku. It's got all kinds of great stuff. Full-length concerts from Lady Gaga, Death Cab for Cutie, The Decemberists, Elvis Costello and the Imposters, Fountains of Wayne, and more. Want to check out classics like Eric Clapton, Peter Gabriel, Genesis, Jethro Tull, and The Doors? You can do that too. Or if you really want to go classic, you can go all the way back to Beethoven, Pavarotti, Wynton Marsalis, and B.B. King. Plus, there are amazing music documentaries as well. You can watch a whole concert or you be the artist and create a set list of your favorite performances from multiple artists to share with your audience of friends. That's right, you can stream that from any device for your and their listening and viewing pleasure. So just go to quelloconcerts.com slash VIP slash Macworld for a free trial to get a taste of how awesome this is. That's quello, Q-E-L-L-O, concerts.com slash VIP slash Macworld for a free trial. One more time, that's QELLOconcerts.com slash VIP slash Macworld for a free trial. Uh, so what else is in the news this weekend? Well, uh, there's the Apple versus Samsung trial, which, of course, concluded uh, with uh, $120 million being awarded to, Sam- uh, to Apple uh, for Samsung to pay. Um, in addition to that, it seems like Apple's continuing to, you know, pound at that nail uh, and a motion on Friday, not only do they want a retrial on the amount of damages, they want more money. They were seeking um, almost $2 billion when this originally all began. And I guess they're not quite satisfied with the $120 million they got. Uh, so they want to retry that. And in addition to that, Apple is yet again trying to get an injunction against Samsung's products in the United States uh, that potentially infringe on Apple's patents. Uh, which the ones at stake for that trial were the slide to unlock patents and um, and data detectors, uh, which most of these are older phones mm-hmm. of Samsung's. Uh, they usually tend to be. But in addition, Apple wants a future injunction against Samsung products, which may use these patents. Um, and, uh, you know, it's a good Good on you, Apple, for reaching for the moon. But uh, Apple's been historically very unsuccessful getting an inju- getting injunctions against Samsung um, when it comes to the United States. They've managed it. They did it, I think, in Germany and in a couple other places overseas uh, for some of their patent wars. But they've had had real trouble. Um, and I'm I'm kind of skeptical that uh, the judge presiding over this will uh, will be like, yeah. No problem. <laughs> yeah, I hear the judge. I hear her eyes rolling at this very moment. Um, yeah, it seems like these two are just going to keep going and going and going. It's, I mean, maybe they'll come to that the moment where they agree, as Apple seems to have done with Google over Motorola, where they just say, you know, we're spending way too much time in court doing this. But um, like you say, the, the nine models of, of uh, Samsung devices they're talking about are old devices. They're, I don't even know if they're even selling all of them anymore. So it's really just a way of continuing to sort of hammer on Samsung and say, look, these guys have stolen our stuff and we are very, very unhappy about it. It will cer- certainly make Samsung uncomfortable to have to do that if so. And 
again, Apple wants to protect its intellectual property. But as we've said a few times on here, enough is enough at, at some point. Um, of course, it's up to Apple if they want to do this. But um, to the rest of the world, and I think increasingly to people in the legal world are kind of going, oh, please, do we really need to go after every one of these things? <sighs> so, you know, up to them. It's their money. They've got some of the best lawyers in the world, and they need to keep them employed. Uh, so, yeah. That is probably true. I guess the lawyers have to do something. Yeah, it seems like that, you know, to me, that the judgment, the $119 million when they asked for $2 billion, should have been kind of a broad hint that, like, yeah, okay, there was some infringement. But we don't take this as seriously as you do, and maybe it's time to back off a little bit. I don't know if if, uh, if judges and, and people overseeing these kinds of trials work on that level or not, but um, I certainly do. And I think, yeah, I think that's a message. Yeah. Um, so moving on from, uh, from patent trials, because I know how exciting those are. Um, it seems that uh, across the sea... Uh, there's been some trouble in Australia. Is that right? Um, there's a yes. You know, in a, in a country that is generally trouble-free, there is trouble in Australia, and it seems that um, some people a couple of nights ago were awakened in the middle of the night with the kind of alert sound that an iPhone will make when you are sending a message via Find My iPhone, and apparently what has happened is somebody was able to change the passwords on some iCloud accounts, get into those accounts, and then go in to find my iPhone and essentially send an alert to these phones after locking them and saying, by the way, if you want your phone unlocked, you will pay me $100. I wish you could see me. I've got my little finger right up here next to my face going, $100, <laughs> U.S., not Australian. Uh, in ransom to regain control. So you're supposed to email through PayPal um, oh boy. 100 bucks. And uh, PayPal has said, no, we're gonna, we will refund anything that goes into that account. So that's not going to work. And Apple has come out and said, get in touch with us, not with them, and we'll take care of it. But um, there are various theories about how this was done, that this is some kind of DNS exploit. Um, but it seems to be happening only in Australia. So that people may have gone to uh, an iCloud site or something. They may have thought they were on a legitimate site, but instead they were somewhere else. They entered their iCloud or Apple ID um, password and username. It was hijacked. Somebody changed the password, and then they sent out this, you know, ransom note, basically. So clever, I thought. Um, unfortunate for those people who are affected, of course. But um, interesting idea. I don't know that it's going to go very well for the people who came up with the idea but um probably not so much not so much but this is yet another warning to us about passwords and security and then going back to the thing we opened the show with not weather but the other thing is that now we're going to have more and more devices in our home that perhaps somebody can access through an iCloud account or some other kind of account so that haha I'm going to turn your freezer off I'm going to set your house on fire by turning your oven on. Um, you know, increasingly, as we talk about the Internet of Things, we're talking about physical things that can be controlled over the Internet. And I think that introduces some... Uh, There's some problems some there. Problems there, right? <laughs> you don't want your fridge coming after you and attacking you. 
Um, you know, this is not a this is not a B movie with a with a horror slip of uh, of storyline. You know, we we want our Internet of Things to be secure, and I feel like it wraps back around to that discussion we were having a couple of weeks ago on passwords, where it's just we we just need to solve this problem because the more things we attach to the Internet, and the more things that we can control, we're not at home. Uh, the more things are potentially open for hackers and other mischievous uh, miscreants to uh, to control and mess around with. And we need to be aware of that. Yeah. And, and also this kind of hacking has become industrialized now. So as I think we said before, it isn't just the 12-year-old in the basement doing this. There are countries engaged in this thing and there are uh, organized crime that's engaged in this sort of thing. And so as we rely increasingly – on uh, internet-connected devices, we have more and more security issues to think about. And it seems, at least according to the kinds of hacks we've seen in the last year, that this is ramping up. It's not getting better. But we are increasingly chasing um, security rather than being in front of it. And I have no idea what the solution to that is, nor I don't does anybody, I think, at this point. But um, it's certainly the kind of thing that we have to to think about increasingly. And and as users, of course, that means, you know, better passwords. I mean, so much better passwords than, than what we're using, not just people entering password for their password, but starting to use utilities that generate very difficult to guess um, passwords. And then having systems where we make those portable so that if I'm on my iPhone, I have a way to log in. And we've talked a lot about 1Password being one of those solutions. And then Apple, of course, has its own iCloud keychain. That's a good direction. Keep moving in that direction. And then find ways to in, uh, encourage people to use them. Because, again, so many people don't. They'll use the same password for, the, for multiple sites. One gets hacked, and then suddenly your entire life is open. Yeah, it's not it's not a good thing for for users across the globe and especially in Australia. Yeah, sorry Australians. Uh, but now now you can serve as a a warning to everyone else. Yeah, I'm sorry that they had to be the ones to do. I love <laughs> Australia. And and Australia is lovely. Is, uh, except for all the things that can kill you. But Oh, they're not so many things. Just <laughs> There was a funny a funny bit uh someone was on a, a a late night talk show and she was talking about Australia and she's like, "Well, you know, scary spider that you know everybody's afraid of. You can just squish it." Uh, but you can't really squish a bear. True. <laughs> or uh, or a shark. True. <laughs> they're a little they're a little more uh, frightening, which I thought was funny. Yeah, you know, I've been to Australia a couple of times, and I, at the first time I went, I thought, oh yes, many many things. And the funnel web spider, you know, they would say, oh yes, it'll get you. And it's like black widows here. You just sort of think, well, you don't, you know, reach into this dark little corner, and then it won't get you. No. Um, or the brown snake. Which, which I think is beautifully named because it's just called the brown snake, but it will kill you so quickly and so painfully. Um, but like the Australians sort of understate the, the name of the, instead of the death brown viper, it's just like, oh, yeah, so, oh there's a brown <laughs> snake. Oh, I'm now dead. And then the box Great. jellyfish. And they put up signs, don't go in the water. There are box jellyfish here. Oh, okay. I won't go in the water. Good. Um, which, of course, has nothing to do with anything as usual. So, uh, before we get to the next item, let's hear from ShareFile by Citrix, which is the powerfully simple way to meet and collaborate online whenever you need to and wherever you are. The constant flow of information is crucial to business. 
Contracts, spreadsheets, invoices, and other important business files are sent as regular email attachments with no reliable means to ensure that they've been received or reviewed. You lose control the moment you hit send. And that's why you need Citrix's ShareFile. It's the easy-to-use business solution for sending, receiving, and sharing files. With ShareFile, your attachments are sent as secure links. So send files of almost any size without bounce-backs. And it's always under your control. You decide who has access to your files and for how long. You receive notifications telling you who opens your files and when they do. Plus, you can password protect files for optimal security. Then, you can easily share files and collaborate with others. And ShareFile mobile apps allow you to access your files anywhere, anytime. Now, it happens that I've given up Dropbox for personal reasons, and I still need to share files. It happened to be that the other week I wanted to share one through another service, but the person I wanted to share with didn't have access to that service. So what did I do? I turned to ShareFile. I simply uploaded the file to ShareFile, sent them a link to it, they downloaded it, and I was done. If you'd like to try it for yourself, here's how. Sign up today for a 30-day free trial, no obligation. Go to ShareFile.com, click the microphone at the top of the homepage, and enter Macworld. Remember, visit ShareFile.com and type in Macworld. Uh, so to close up our, our, our podcast this week, uh, we've been, you know, last week we, we looked at some more amusing articles and uh, this week, one of the best things I saw uh, was a, an article on the unofficial Apple weblog uh, on children uh, playing around with an Apple II and being asked how to turn it on and, uh, and, and seeing their reactions. And, you know, I, you would think that kids' reactions to things would get boring because there's lots of videos that try and do that. It's like, oh, look – Kids' first reaction to a Star Wars. Kids' reaction to a car. Um, but chil- children do say the darndest <laughs> things. <laughs> and that, you know, it was just, it was really delightful. Especially, you know, uh, an Apple II is one of the first machines I ever worked on. And it's very funny to see people today, you know, when, when I was working on it, I wasn't very old. But it's like, yeah, you turn on the monitor and then you go and you turn on the computer and you put in the floppy drive and you hit the reset button. <laughs> and the kids turn on one switch where it says on. And then they're like, why isn't it turning <laughs> right, on? Because you only need one switch, right? Yeah. Why, why can't I just press the button? Where's the touch screen? <laughs> yeah, I love the reactions from the kids. Cause, and there, there was somebody kind of helping them along because this stuff is totally not intuitive. So, you know, they turn on the monitor and they're going, well, it's not doing, and they're like hitting keys. It's, and where's the mouse? Oh, there was no mouse. Oh. And then finally says, you have to go around the back to turn it on. And they just look at it like, what? What do you mean you have to go around the back to turn it on? How stupid is that? Yeah. What I loved about this video and and what I found with my own daughter and, and technology years ago is that the stuff that we take for granted to her is insane like a mouse even for her i mean she uses one now and she uses a mouse and a keyboard but initially she started on an ios device and that made total sense because you just tap it and things happen it's like reacting with or interacting with devices in the real world if you want something you pick it up if you want to turn a page you swipe if you want to interact you tap on something so she got that right away and then she's about four and then I put a mouse in her hand and say, okay, so here's a computer. And I show this to her and she kind of wiggles around and she watches the cursor move for a while and then just 
turns to me and just goes, you know, in whatever way that children say it, I think she said, this is poo-poo. But what she was really saying is like, this is stupid. What do you mean you operate a computer this way? How come I can't just interact with it like I can with an iOS device? So this lesson from this Apple II uh, video, I think was was very much the same way where the kids were just going, what? Really? Yeah. <laughs> Why do I have to do this? This is so dumb. Why do I have to tap? Why do I have to type in print when I'm not printing anything? <laughs> um, I don't know. Why? Are, where are the pictures? Yeah. Well, they finally got to a game. I don't know if you watched all the way to the end, but no, I watched. I watched the first half and and was cracking up so much that I had to send it to a couple other people. Oh, so great. And then we had the podcast. Yeah. But uh, well, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna spoil it for you. But um, at the end, they f- they find a game. Well, they finally they have one on a floppy, so they have to explain what the floppy is. Oh, and gosh. it's not like you know the little tiny floppy that we used to know from the Superdrive, but uh, it, it's instead you know the big ones, the big five and a half inch things that really are floppy. And first of all, they, they have a hell of a time getting the thing into the computer because you don't know which side's supposed to go in. No, put it in fine, and then they have to lock it in because you have to lock it down. And finally, they get to play a game, and it's like um, it's sort of like an asteroids kind of thing but it's all green because there's no color so it's this green monitor and uh and again they're going you know i think one girl was cute she said well it's better than flappy bird but <laughs> not much better because the rest were going oh it's all green i mean this is it oh <laughs> so um i think you know be prepared listeners that um 15 years from now they're going to be a new generation of kids who look back on our iPads and our iPhones and our Macs and say, really? What? You, what were you doing? You actually had to touch them? Couldn't you just <laughs> think and they happen? So I thought good life. I mean, it was a beautifully produced thing. So good on the people who did it. Um, but particularly, I think it was, uh, it was very revealing about how far we've come, what we take for granted now. And kind of the the stupid things we complain about, tiny things when you consider where we've you know where we came from, not all that long ago. So uh, I, I I have vowed to respect my technology more, not complain about little things quite so much. As Louis C.K. says, everything is awesome and nobody's happy. So let's be happier about all of this amazing tech we have, and about how amazing it will be in you know just another couple of years. Awesome. I'm going to steal that quote for our title. So this episode title will be Everything's Awesome and Nobody's Happy. And Nobody's Happy. happy. Okay. <laughs> Did we want to go over our, our highs and lows? Yeah. We, okay. Let's do it. Um, so One less. Let's start with uh, our fail and hail. So what's right. your fail for this week? My fail for this week? Um, well... My fail for this week, I think, has to be the Reminders app, um, or more specifically, the Siri integration on the Reminders app. Because this weekend, I was out in Rhode Island at a, at a conference, and I was running around, and I didn't have time to look at the screen. I was basically, you know, I pulled out my phone, and I was just like, you know, um, put put blank on my general list. Or something mm-hmm. like that, and it quite—it doesn't—it still doesn't quite understand what I'm saying, and I'm—I'm I'm very frustrated. Um, you have to know, you know, some some Siri commands, the semantics can kind of be out of order, 
and it's still fine. But for, for whatever reason, the reminders list, it just, it does not like it when I say things. It's, uh, it, it, it always assumes that I either want it on a different list or I'm trying to do a web search. It never actually just adds reminders to my list. Okay. So if you do something and you don't get the result you want, I think that, that qualifies for a fail. Yeah, I, I think okay, so. Okay, reminders app, you're on, uh, you've been warned. You're on, yeah. You're on the list. Yeah. <laughs> okay. On my list is uh, iOS universal remote controls. People have tried to do this before, and what it is, you get a little box that uh, is like an IR blaster, and you connect to it with your iPhone or your iPod toucher, and uh, and you're going to control all your AV components with it, so your TV and your receiver and uh, everything else that you happen to have there, and they just don't work very well. I've, I've really wanted it to work, but it turns out that a touch-based interface is not a good interface for doing... Not so much. Because it doesn't have real buttons. And when you're watching TV, uh, you don't really want to spend time looking down at your iPhone going, swipe, 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 where's that button? Swipe, no, that's not it. Is it this one? Oh, heck, <laughs> I just turned everything off. Um, they can be complicated to set up. They sometimes don't recognize devices that you own. And then just operationally... Ick. So that's my fail. I I think it would be great if somebody did it right, but I've yet to see it happen. So uh, better luck next time. Maybe soon. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe maybe next year. Maybe next year. Uh, um, yes. Yeah. So my my hail this week is actually it's an iOS app again because I feel like I do a, I do a lot with iOS apps and um, it's actually a port of what was originally a PlayStation game. Uh, called Thomas Was Alone, mm. um, which it's a it's a puzzler that uh, has a very delightful story narrated by a quirky British man um, about a rectangle named Thomas uh, and his friends. And uh, it, it gets a, a little ominous towards the end. If you like any of Valve's games, the Portal games, you'll love this. Um, and it's it's really fun to play. The puzzles are well thought out. The port is excellent and the controls are fun. Um, and, uh, and it's a good, a lengthy experience for an iOS game. I think it's $9, but it's a hundred and some odd levels. Wow. Which is, yeah, it's, it's, it's a pretty, pretty good thorough experience. I recommend it for anyone who likes, uh, games like that, like Sword and Sorcery and, and Monument Valley, stuff like that. I'm going to try it. That sounds really good. Cause I loved Monument yeah. Valley. That was Oh, Monument Valley was beautiful. I, I could still rave about Monument Valley. But what's your hail of the uh, Because I was dissing iOS universal remote controls, I'm going to give, give a plus <laughs> to one that isn't. Um, and these, these are the Harmony remotes. Um, Logitech took them over years ago. They're universal remotes. They work through USB. They can be a little bit of a pain to set up. But once you've done it, they just work. So you press an activity, say, I want to watch my Apple TV. Press one button, bang, all this stuff comes on that needs to be switched on. It switches to the right HDMI input, and it gives you access to that. You want to change to a different activity and watch your cable box, one button, and it does that as well. They're a little expensive, but um, I've been using them for years. I keep trying to go to the iOS universal remotes, and I always go back to the Harmony remotes. So good job on uh, for them for doing this to make my AV experience a happy one for me and for the family. They like it too. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, my boyfriend has a Harmony remote and uh, it works really well. I I don't necessarily need one in my house because I only have two devices uh, in my sort of home entertainment 
studio here. Uh, but uh, but I really like using his. I think it's it's really neat, and the programmat the programmatic ability uh, <laughs> works really well. I'm a writer, guys. I swear. <laughs> yes, and you're a good talker too. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and that. So I think the test is if you have more than four remotes or four and above uh, remotes, it's time to think about a Harmony remote or some other kind of u- universal remote because once you have to juggle that many remotes, it's just too much of a pain. So. For sure. For sure. So um, then this is really it. We're, we're really done for this time. We're really we're done. Really done. We're saying goodbye. We're hanging we up. We are indeed. Uh, we'll be back next week. WWDC coverage of some kind. Well, all kinds of coverage on Macworld.com, of course. Uh, the podcast, we're going to have one. I don't know who's going to be there or what <laughs> it's going to be, but uh, it should be very interesting. It will exist. It will exist. It will be out sometime next week. And uh, we should have some videos, too, maybe. I would think we'd have videos. a lot of videos. Yeah, Magic videos. <laughs> uh, but we'll see you next week, everybody. Good. And that wraps up another episode of the Macworld Podcast, sponsored by Quello, the world's largest collection of full-length HD concerts and music documentaries, and ShareFile by Citrix, the powerfully simple way to meet and collaborate online whenever you need to, wherever you are. And as in past episodes, I have a plea. Help the Macworld Podcast stay free to download by completing a short anonymous survey. It will take no more than five minutes. Your answers will help match our show with advertisers that best fit the sensibilities of our podcast and its listeners like you. Listeners who complete the survey will be entered in an ongoing monthly raffle to win a $100 Amazon gift card. We promise not to share or sell your email address, and we won't send you email unless, of course, you win, in which case you probably want to hear from us. So please go to www.podsurvey.com slash Macworld. That's www.podsurvey.com slash Macworld to take our survey and get a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card. Thanks very much for listening. We'll see you next week.